So tonight we're talking about uh, what to look for in a spouse. I have a couple of slides. Does someone want to click those? There's like four of them. That, that's what to look for in a spouse. That's, that's my wife, Lisa. Uh, you, I don't know if you all can see her super well, but uh, that was, I don't know, last week or so. That's at my parents' house. They live out on uh, the Wando River. That's two of our four children. Eli is in the life jacket here. Hey, thank you. And Zoe is right there. She is 13 months old. And she's huge. Um, she's really, really large. And uh, she, she's very, very content unless you don't give her food immediately. But the new development in, in Zoe's life, she hasn't really started saying words. She'll say like, uh-oh, or kind of thank you, at least the tone of it. But the other day I was changing her disgustingly smelly diaper. I mean, it's so bad. And, but I opened up her diaper and she goes, hoo-wee, like this right here. It's like her first word. And so she, now she walks up. If she has a poopy diaper, she walked up to Lisa the other day, and she goes, hoo-wee. I'm serious. And she walks around the house doing it. And that's what everybody else is thinking. That's what she does. So if you're excited about having children, that's why. Not the smell, but the comedy. Um, the, uh, so uh, the way I want to do this is, is the way Leland does this, I think, is just have a few few minutes of perspective considerations and pop it to you guys. Y'all have some discussion and we just a little banter, okay? Um, if we're talking about what to look for in a spouse, I just want to give you two introductory considerations. I assume that uh, there will be a lot of overlap between this and whatever Leland talked about last week, but that's fine because we forget stuff fast. Um, the first is this. The, the title itself, what to look for in a spouse, is flavored by the culture, okay? Um, in other cultures, as, as Leland talked about last week, that isn't an option. It's not really an option to go, what do I want to find in a spouse? Um, either because it's an arranged mar marriage culture or because uh, the criteria are far more survival or procreation based. Right? I was doing some research on Sudanese marriage traditions just in the Sudan because I just picked a country um, that I thought would be pretty different from ours. Very different. Definitely economic. You know, it's not like a, <clears throat> well, some guy sees you and it's like I would like a wife so that I might bear children and and for the sake of my farm so I will give the father 60 goats for my dowry and away we go but that's been a lot of the history of the world uh, and here we are in a place where we can actually ask the question on some level obviously in a complementarian society or in our little subculture we generally the guy is the one initiating and the girl is the one waiting and so the guy has more options than the girls in this respect but in general in our free country that is is rich and doesn't have to worry about some of those things we are in some ways looking for something in a spouse that is related to enjoyment or compatibility uh, I think what that should do to us when we realize that and that's not just where we are in the current day and age in the world that's where we are in our little ethnocentric area like, like in our specific area in the United States that's where we are because there are lots of cultures right now that still practice something other than dating and I will say the, the whole dating preference compatibility thing and I will say as someone who's been married now for getting on 12 years uh, and watching the drama and the hormones and whatever goes on in dating and, and I do because I'm in college ministry I, I do a lot of dating type of counseling and I think Man, arranged marriage would be simple. Uh, I do. I think that all the time. Um, because once you're committed, then you're just in. And it's not like, well, let me check my pulse and put my fingers on their pulse and let's see how the, this chemistry is working. It's like, 
You're just in, and now you're committed. And the Bible's pretty clear about that part, not so clear about the rest of it. Uh, so, but I think what that should do for us is build a sense of sobriety about marriage, or, or at least perspective that says, uh, maybe, maybe the concept of dating weighs a little less heavily on you, because there's coming a day for at least some of you, this is not a talk on singleness, but those who end up getting married, there's coming a day when whoever you choose, now you're just in, you know, or whoever chooses you, however that works. Like there's going to be a mutual choosing. You're just in and you go about your business. And I think gratitude because you go, I can actually have a say in this on some level. And, and that, that say goes beyond whether or not our farm is going to thrive. That's number one. The second consideration, and I think this one might hit a little closer to home, is I don't know that this is as true in the young adult culture I would I would gather that it is but whenever I talk about my wife and I are doing a dating relationship seminar at the New Year's conference in Raleigh that we're about to have for campus outreach and whenever we start just there's like a there's like an electricity in the room before we start um, it's like a giddiness that everybody feels because you're like oh you're about to tell me how I can find a spouse or like what what are the things I'm looking for and I would say in general and, and I've taught on a lot a lot of topics the giddiness with that topic is unparalleled there's nothing that, that carries the same kind of intrigue. Every time we have, we have these optional seminars at our conference and where you can just choose, you can, they're like electives, right? The dating and marriage seminar is always, always number one. It's always the one that's most attended. And I just wanna say uh, that I think that kind of giddiness on some level belies our purported spirituality, uh, which means, uh, we say that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We say that Jesus is our real treasure, our real bridegroom, our real hope, and the one that has our heart. But, but what ends up happening is that the, the, the intrigue factor goes higher for a spouse than it does for Jesus. That happens a lot. And I think that, that when I was single, it happened to me too. Uh, but what I'm saying is, I, I think that it demonstrates that down deep, on some level, we think of Jesus, wonderful, will be inevitably a disappointment. She's about the most wonderful person I've ever met, okay? And that person will be a disappointment. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, there is a notion which at first grasp that just fades away in the reality, okay? And that's true of every reality that you experience this side of heaven. That's true of every reality. I don't know that we say that to ourselves enough, but there's something about getting that clarity in your head that helps you enjoy marriage for what it is rather than putting it up on a pedestal and it, it drawing out of you that giddiness. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be giddy about it. I am saying that you should be comparatively less giddy about it. Because if you think about the, the scriptures, um, I mean, I can remember when I was a junior, I went to Furman, which is up in Greenville, founded 1826. And uh, it's just, that's on the house. Um, and, uh, yeah, you have that too. Uh, so, uh, I, it was my junior year, I started learning about the concept of Christian hedonism. You guys ever heard of Christian hedonism? You with me? John Piper, Desiring God, all that stuff. That basically God wants you to be happy. And he wants you to be happy. You find your happiness in him. God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in him. And I heard a Piper sermon or seven and I started thinking, um, this is changing my whole paradigm for the scriptures and I would actually run home from class to open the Bible at points. I was like, I, I gotta see this some more because this is changing the whole way I think about God. God 
is becoming a treasure for me in a way that I've never known. I've been kind of a dutiful person up to this point, but now I'm actually the giddiness factor was there. I would I would I would sometimes at least run to my room to read the Bible. Um, that's the only season in my life that I can remember being that giddy. But it makes sense. It made sense in that moment. Like th- what I thought was real about the world was being cemented. And the treasure of my life was being cemented, and I thought, if, if Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and, and uh, Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If that is eternal life, to know the Father and the Son, then giddiness should, should spring. Right? That, that, that makes sense. Or in Revelation 3, if Jesus, he's talking to the church at Laodicea, I think, in, in Revelation 3. It's about the lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, that passage. And he says, at the end of that passage, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Like the true bridegroom, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens to me, I will come into him or her and dine with him or her and he with me. Okay? So, and when I read that, it's like, if there are a real person, really, ladies, there's a real man really knocking on your door in some sort of metaphorical way, right? And you there is this feeling that you get. I got, I got this feeling when I was in eighth grade. There was a girl named Tanya Maddox. She lives here. I saw her today at, our, at uh, Bell Hall. She's married and has three kids or whatever, but I had a crush on her in eighth grade. And I was watching a movie called Strictly Ballroom. I don't know if any of y'all ever seen Strictly Ballroom. It's about Australian ballroom dancing. Pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Cindy Lauper, it had the song Time After Time. Y'all know the song Time After Time? It's one of the all-time great lovey songs, right? I love it. And they're playing that song in the movie. And that night, I found out that Tanya may have had a little something for me. And I remember having some sort of weird, giddy feeling that, that, that this, this crush may be reciprocated and thinking, this is one of the best feelings I've ever had. I love this, just this feeling. I don't even know if it's true. It could be a total rumor. But I love this feeling that I'm having right now. But that feeling is so rarely felt by me about God when he's saying, I, I stand at the door and knock. Like the God of the universe, the, the one I'm saying is the treasure, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens to me, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Um, and I'm just saying there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my faith. Like when I'm begging the Lord to help my unbelief that I would be able to carry pro- proportionate giddiness, if that makes sense. So be giddy about this stuff. Just be really giddy about the real stuff. Okay. That said, I'm, we're going to start with a discussion question, moving into what to look for in a spouse, which is this. Uh, I would like you guys probably to turn just to the three or four people around you, and uh, there are two questions. It's the next slide. Uh, here are the questions. One, what is your unfiltered priority list for a spouse? And what I mean is what's your, like, not filtered by the Bible, not your Sunday school answer, like, as much like Jesus, but uh, <laughs> all the way like Jesus, and, you know, the, the whole thing goes to church four times a week, but what's your unfiltered, not like weird, but just unfiltered priority list for a spouse? And then after you gather that list, and I'm thinking like a top five, okay? A top five ranked list of these are the things when I'm really honest with myself, this is what I want, okay? And from there, number two is what is your properly filtered priority list, okay? So, so do a little compare and contrast between what you actually think, what you actually want. And here I mean things like... Um, they have to be athletic or something like that. Like your, your non-negotiables that you may or may not tell people, but you're about to. Um, <laughs> those things versus what a, maybe a more properly biblically filtered list is. And we're going to discuss that biblically filtered list from here on out. So go. Take. 
10 minutes. As we move forward, remembering uh, that this is not a like a buffet that there's a whole consumeristic thing that we get in our culture you guys probably talked about it last week but it's not or like going to the whole foods market you know where it's like you just walk down the aisle and you're like ooh organic something or other i'll take that and gluten free this i'll take that and and you just you're you pick whatever you want and you put it in your cart and somehow you can buy you, you it's like there was a movie in the 80s called weird science um with robert downey jr actually and uh, they created a woman with like a computer or something. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen Weird Science. I saw it on TBS like when I was a kid. You know? And uh, that's not real. Like that that doesn't happen. That's like that's like a pornographic creation. Okay, and meaning that that's that's not real life. There's there's no person. There, there's a girl on our staff team, and we ha we had an argument about this at one point. She said she wouldn't date a guy who was shorter than like six one. But. I'm like, that's not real, like, you're just going to meet people in your life that are different than whatever your perfect creation is, and right now, she got a crush on a guy who's 5'8", you know, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to know who she is or who the guy is, I'm just saying, it's, it's not, that's a consumeristic mindset, and here, uh, we'll talk about this maybe in a little bit, though it's not exactly this talk, what you're looking for in a spouse is someone that you can give Jesus to. Right, like that—that—that's that, what it means, and I think that works both ways. I know that the, the the picture is Christ in the church. Okay, that's what marriage is. The picture is that the the husband is Jesus, and the wife is the bride of Jesus, the church, and the husband he doesn't he doesn't hate his own body, nourishes and cherishes it. He gives himself. He dies for his wife to present her complete to Jesus, ultimately, and it's a picture to the world of Christ in the church. And the wife, in the same way, respects her husband. But really, in the day in, day out, there's a submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what I usually say to a college student that's like, should I marry this girl, is can you, with a smile on your face, happily die for her every day for the rest of your life? Because that's what you're going to do. You're going to die for somebody that's imperfect every day. So even as we talk about this, and it's kind of fun to do your little list, remember, it's no buffet. Whatever person you have in mind isn't real. There's always going to be somebody a little more this than whoever you end up marrying, okay? And ultimately, that all just funnels down or pyramids up or whatever to Jesus, the treasure of your life. Everybody else is going to be, their, their deficiency is going to be your opportunity for hope and worship. So I, I do think, I, God is not in the business of taking from us. I, I was talking to a guy recently who's dating a girl, and she's dealing with some, some pretty significant anxiety. And uh, he was not sure whether he should continue. Well, I guess he was kind of sure, but I was just asking him questions about it because it was in that, for that brief season of their dating relationship, it felt like a, a fairly debilitating type of thing for the relationship. And he's like, if I broke up with her, wouldn't that just be selfish? And I thought it was a really good question in light of the, the definition of marriage that I just gave and the one that, that Leland gave before. Was that a friendship? Christ would friendship, head toward glory or something. What did yeah. you say? Basically, Tim Keller's definition. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Uh, for meaning of marriage. So, uh, I don't know that I would say that it's selfish in the sense that God is not taking away from you your uniqueness and your personality and your preferences and your desires. Uh, I would say God is in the business of giving and not taking from you. One of the things, I, when I was talking to you about being a junior in college and getting all excited about God wanting me to be happy, one of the things I was learning was that God, this is a one-way relationship in which, in general, God is giving to me. Like He is the, the consummate giver, and I am the receiver in this relationship. That's how that works, okay? He, in, in that sense, if you think of masculine and feminine as the, the male is the giver and the female is the receiver, God is the masculine 
party in this relationship, okay? We receive. We are the bride. We're called the bride on purpose because we, we receive from God. Um, and so when it comes to how he gives to us, what I say is he's, always, he's never taking from you. That's not how he functions. God, God overflows in his abundance to you. However, God does give to you in counterintuitive ways. And relationships are one of the clearest examples of this. He gives to you in ways that you're not necessarily expecting. But he, I don't think in a, in a case where it's like, well, I just really can't stand being around that person. Outside of a call to Hosea to go marry a prostitute, like a specific call, God's not telling you to just be miserable. That would be in line with the, the, the false teachers in 1 Timothy 4 who are forbidding marriage because they think, you know, basically the physical and pleasure are bad. That, that's not what God is in the business of doing, is just taking things from you. However, he may be in the business of sanctifying you by giving you something that's not necessarily in that moment your preference. That usually happens once you're committed to that person and then you learn all of the crap about them. Um, so, I do think it's okay to have that list. However, I think you guys are right that it's not, those things are generally secondary so I just want to give a few considerations, and we'll, we'll, we'll bat them around. This is not going to be comprehensive. It's just a few considerations as I've been through the whole dating and marriage gamut. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with physical beauty. Physical beauty, I would just say, it is something. It's just not close to everything, okay? A lot of times, my wife Lisa and I will talk about it as the essential 15%, um, which the, the number is kind of arbitrary. But basically what that means is if you have no... I'll talk about attraction a little bit more. But if you have no physical attraction to somebody, um, it would be in the same kind of category I was just talking about. Where you, I don't know that it's like, well, I, I have no attraction to this person, no physical attraction to this person, but let's go ahead and do this. Um, but I will, I will, I guess, give this caveat. Physical attraction, attraction to the external, attraction to the internal are very much, in my opinion, fluid. Uh, and so... God made people to express themselves externally, and we see those expressions externally. Like if there's somebody who's naturally angry, their face will express a sneer, generally. I was, I was on a plane with my wife. Uh, no, I was just by myself. I was flying somewhere, speaking at a tree or something, like last year, a couple years ago, and there was a lady, maybe 25-year-old African-American lady doing the, this thing, okay? She was a flight attendant. And the, and she smiled all the time. Like she just she had a beautiful, seemingly sincere smile about her. And I had a couple thoughts in that moment. One was that smile, is what makes her beautiful. Um, like I don't know, I, I don't even know that I saw her face just stoic because she was smiling all the time. And then I thought I don't. That's not a very self-conscious smile. Like I doubt that she's standing in front of the mirror most of the day, practicing her smile. She just seems to be have some sort of happy demeanor. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but the internal beauty, which is joy, right, was coming out through an external expression. Therefore, there are people that you will meet and think, I'm naturally attracted to that person physically, and this varies from guys to girls. We're not talking too much about that tonight, but you'll meet somebody and go, I am attracted to that person, and then over time, through their expression of the internal, you realize you're not so attracted to that person. And there are some people that when you first meet them, you go, I don't know that I'm physically attracted to them, but after a certain period of time, the internal, which is the, the lion's share of their beauty, starts to demonstrate itself externally. Okay? Uh, so I'm not saying that external beauty is nothing. God made people with bodies. Nobody is as beautiful as they're going to be. 
nobody is perfect in their body and their presentation. I think an overemphasis on your external presentation will probably demonstrate itself ultimately in a lack of attractiveness because of the whole external internal connection. It's not men. It's generally not that attractive to a woman for you to spend most of your time figuring out how to look better. Uh, because they're like, ooh. And, 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 and those muscles, those veins that you develop uh, that are popping out of your arms, the women start to think, I think that's gross. And the reason they think that, most women, is because there, there's the character component that is, this is really what you give all of your time to? And then that, that shows itself in that popped out vein. Okay? So I, that's how I feel about physical beauty. It says in Genesis 29 uh, with, with uh, Rachel and Leah, Genesis, this is 29, 17, and 18. I don't know that it's necessarily justifying uh, this, but you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. It says, it's talking about Leah and Rachel and Jacob's preferences. It says, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. That's what it says. So I don't know how much is justifying it, except to say, I don't know that it's necessarily condemning it either. I think it's just to say, God made Rachel to be beautiful. Jacob loved that Rachel was beautiful. That's okay. If you, if you read Song of Solomon, the whole thing is you know, this rather R-rated back and forth about their physical appearance. Okay, so what I would say to you is it, it, it wouldn't make any sense for you to give no time to your physical appearance. God made your physical appearance. Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or work out or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. But, would, but if there's an inordinate amount of time given to your physical appearance, I think that, again belies your purported spirituality okay and most of us are probably guilty of that this might be helpful too i had a friend in college who he had his own scale for his attractive the attractiveness of ladies and it was stunning beautiful and plain okay and almost every person he ever saw was in the beautiful category um because that's the way god made women you know like women are kind of the pinnacle of created beauty and so i do think there can be some minimizing of the breadth of beauty that God made through American culture kind of thinning, no pun intended, the, the criteria for what it means to be beautiful. So I would like, I'd just play with him and I'd be like, his name is Rick. I'd be like, Rick, what about that girl right there? And he'd say, beautiful. What about that girl? Beautiful. Like every once in a while he'd give a stunning and I don't even know that I ever heard him give a plane. And I just thought that was so redemptive. I thought that was like of the Lord. Uh, none of us are, are, have our glorified bodies, but... There's a lot of beauty, and, and that beauty comes out all the more through godliness. Um, I will say this in reference to that when you're thinking about a spouse. That's me and Lisa when we first started dating, okay? Um, this was 2004. That's basically, that's what we're going to look like, okay? That's what all of y'all are going to look like too, okay? Nobody's looking at those people. Go back to the other one. That, that, the, the second slide's not us, you know? That's just what we're going to be. This is us. Look at all young and... I have hair. It's like we're all tan because it was summertime. It's so, it's so nice. But then, but then you fast forward. It's just a few years. This is just called decay. It, it's the it's the curse of the world. That's what aging. That's all aging is. You're the you're the same person with the same brain and all that. I was talking to a lady earlier today who's like uh, she's like mid seventies, and I, as I was talking to her, she's she's we're having a normal conversation. I thought, huh. You were 18 once, and here you are, 
Just you walk through decay a little bit. And you're, you're a wonderful person, wonderfully godly person, with full, full of wisdom. And I thought, aging is so strange. We just, we're just, like, in, in a heavenly world, we wouldn't age. We'd just be that infinite energy and beauty and the whole thing. But now, it's just gravity is taking hold, and that's what everybody's going to look like. And therefore, charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 again, you can flip here or not. I'm about to say it. Uh, Peter, this is a very, pretty well-known passage. But Peter's talking about wives and their own character and submission to their husbands. And he says, Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. I think the best translation there is probably merely external, because if he's saying, don't let your adorning be the putting on of clothing, then that leaves another problem. Like, now he's just saying, don't put on clothes. So he's saying, don't, don't think primarily about your adorning being external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, that's the word, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Uh, that's a powerful verse. The idea that this beauty is imperishable, but God, I think one of the functions of the curse of aging, the curse of the fall, is to help us value the right kinds of beauty. Because you, everybody here, you're a young adult, you're in your 20s, right? You're on the other side of that aging hill. You get to about 18, maybe 20, and then it's just, here we go, right? <laughs> it's just a free fall. Uh, and, you know, it's fairly gradual, and then it actually it accelerates as you, if people get older. Like, if you look at somebody who's 50, and then you look at somebody who, or from 60 to 70, it's a pretty big leap there. You guys from 20 to 30, from 30 to 40, not as much, but this is, this is where you're going, and I think God did that on purpose. You'll have a perfect body in just a little bit. So I think the beauty of that, you know, when you think about Lewis talking about how you've never met a mere mortal, if you guys ever heard that, that quote before, he says, you've never met a mere, mere mortal, you're always walking around, and everybody you see in heaven is going to be either some, a horror that's like from your nightmares or somebody that you're tempted to worship. Uh, in just a little bit, I think, I think it's the time frame that throws me off. Like, I don't think, it's, it's not long from now that you're going to see that. Uh, and you're, and, and so what that means is if you see somebody and you're like, I'm not that physically attracted to them right now, A, you will be in a minute, uh, and B, their internal beauty is the imperishable part. And so you should let that carry the lion's share when you're considering it because of the fleetingness of current broken physical beauty. Uh, next consideration, 95% of your marriage will not be, will be not only to a spouse, but also to a parent, okay? Uh, it's so weird to me, now that I, I have four children, our oldest is nine, and I only know, there's a reason that I showed the picture of Lisa before holding two of our children, um, is because that's how I know Lisa now. Chelsea testified to this. We, what we do with our days is we seek to love and not kill our children. Um, like we, we, that's what we do all the time and so I, I know Lisa I've known Lisa for the 9 of the 11 years that we've been married I've known her as a mom uh, and therefore what, when you're thinking about what to look for in a spouse how they will be as a parent at least in your own prognostication is a big deal it's not nothing and it's so because it's funny we'll be like well when you went on the date how did they how well did they hit the tennis ball uh Oh, not great, but it, really the question, like Lisa and I did recreational companionship for two years 
where we would go hit the tennis ball and we would go for runs together. And now we have four children, count them, four. And so with those four children, you know how much recreational companionship Lisa and I have just together? Not a lot, not a lot. And so what I need to be looking at with Lisa is not how well she hits a tennis ball or how, how she looks in her, you know, how fashionable she is per se, but how she's gonna love those children. Because that's just our whole life. That's a, that's a lot of what we do. And I know that you don't have a category for it right now, and so it's hard for me to say that because all you're thinking is like the face-to-face -face dating, but almost all of your life is going to be shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, caring for children. So just consider that. Uh, any thoughts on that one? Leland, your dad. I mean, you can see uh, the thing that I knew about Sarah before we got married that she created her great brother. would, this is a stupid example, but her job required her to work until midnight or 1 a.m. and then get back right. at 6 the next morning and go to work for Right. That's called parenting. Yeah. That's called parenting. Yeah. So uh, there are ways that qualities that will be helpful for parenting mm -hmm. uh, that you can see those in their lives. Mm -hmm. Like, do they love to give themselves away to other people? Mm -hmm. Are they okay with annoying, frustrating, non Can they handle it when someone, right. when someone like refuses to do what they want to do. Do they exhibit patience? Yeah. You yeah. Know, like all those kind of Do they not run when life gets hard? Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. And I mean, so I think there are some ways to backtrack. Sure. It's good. Um, okay. Which leads me to uh, number five. Compatibility is in large part an illusion. Um, <laughs> there, There is some validity to compatibility. Okay. There is some validity to it. But in general, what you find, I'll just take the personality scale side of things. What you find is that, uh, any of y'all ever taken Myers-Briggs? Myers-Briggs, yeah, a good, good handful. Uh, if you type in, this is just for you, if you type in Minton, M-I-N-H space T-A-N, and then your four letters, I'm an ENFP, okay? I type in ENFP, it'll give you a 20-page write-up online of your personality type, okay? Um, and in there, it gives you all sorts of stuff, but one of the things it says is who you're naturally attracted to and it says ENFPs are naturally attracted to INTJs or ISTJs. My wife is an ISTJ, all four letters different, okay? Uh, and so compatibility seems strange in that regard because most of the marriages that I do counseling for or I officiate, most of the dating relationships that I see, it's not really in the moment benotes to the people who are dating, but it's a complementary thing, not, not a similarity thing. There may be some common interests involved, like you might like the same movies or something like that. My wife and I do not like the same movies. She doesn't even like movies in general. She thinks they're kind of a waste of time. Um, she'll do a movie, but it can't be a, a really intense movie. I like movies like No Country for Old Men or, uh, you know, or um, what's a super intense emotional movie? Like, um, not, not like an epic guy movie. What? Make me cry. What's that? What's the movie's that? What'd you say? <laughs> huh? You said a big emotional movie. What movie did you say? A Walk to Remember. Okay, yeah. Like uh, something that's going to be a little more bleak, she's not for. And that's been a little bit of a point of tension in our marriage, but it's just been a really, really little point of tension. Because day in and day out for us, it's she thinks for things like doing bills. And I think for things like how to feel about your life. 
and 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 we we kind of put and and I do the humor side of things and and the playful side of things and she does the practical side of things. I would smell a rose until it wilted, and Lisa would cultivate a rose and forget to smell it. Like that's how we do. Okay. In general, that's what you find. So compatibility. I do think I would think more in terms of complementarity than compatibility. When I say that com compatibility is a little bit of an illusion, it's because a dating is kind of a job interview anyway. So you're a lot of times people are putting their best foot forward and be like, I love whatever that is, and they don't really love it that much. Um, and then, and but but here's the key key component. Um, there's a quote from a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. Uh, I, th I think I did put it on the on the slide. If y'all don't. I don't want y'all to have to keep running and doing things. Uh, but it's, it's from The Meaning of Marriage. Have you used this one, Leland? A little bit. He says, he says, destructive to marriage is a self-fulfillment ethic. This has a lot of meaning in it, but I'm really taking just one part. That assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment. That's the consumerism thing. Necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry. And if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. So you know you get all you get your magnifying glass and you look closely enough. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to the to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know, and this is this is the key part for our purposes. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary, the primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Okay? That's a very, very important quote. There's all sorts of um, pie-in-the-sky kind of dreams that you have when you're dating somebody, and there's the whole novelty piece, and there's the... the you can turn the lights back on. Thank you. Um, just the, the hormones are like... Right now, even though you guys aren't in high school or college, hormones matter. Um, and so they're doing things to you that are making you really excited about people. And then you get married and you go, how did that happen? Like, how did, how did we get to that place? At least I think about it all the time. We dated for two and a half months. And we're engaged for four months. <laughs> and that was it. And we had known each other for one year. And I, I, I love that because I came to a place where I asked my... Camp Sowers director up there. I said, how do, how do I really know? Because there's going to be somebody maybe funnier than she is. There may be five people in the world more athletic than she is. But there, there, there's somebody something. And he says, you don't. You don't know. You ask the Lord. You make a commitment to her. And you ask the Lord for your faith and your affection to line up with the commitment you made day in and day out for the rest of your life. He says, I have no guarantee that I will wake up tomorrow. His wife's name is Teresa. He said that I will love Teresa with, with my whole heart, with my affections tomorrow. So I'm begging the Lord for my faith to line up, my faith and affection to line up with my commitment. And I go. And I said, okay. Here we go. Here we are 12 years later. And we have said from the beginning, divorce is no option. And the Lord is doing, giving, giving us counterintuitive things throughout. Um, so, I do think if you meet someone and you have a terrible conversation and you have nothing in common and you're like, I really don't like being with that person, that you should be like, let's go on another date. I, I don't know that, or, or another four dates. But I do think that, I think compatibility, like a whole lot of these things, just ranks down there secondary or tertiary compared to everything else. There are going, there are going to come moments, they happen all the time, where people go, I just don't know. And that's why I usually say, well, let me ask you this question. Do you think that you could, with a smile on your face, for the rest of your life, die for this person? 
and show them Jesus. Could you do that? And what I'm saying is, and I think this is where the whole idea of, of being a little more laid back about it that Caitlin was talking about is helpful. I don't think that it's like there's, in God's ultimate will of decree, in his ultimate sovereignty, there's one person that is there for you. In his kind of normal will of command, there are probably, I don't know, a couple hundred people. I'll give you an example. I was in something of a love triangle. Um, about 12 years ago, this was a long time ago, uh, with, with, with two people that I lived in. A, we were all on staff at CO Minneapolis, and we lived in a triplex. So as the, I guess as the, the, the termite burrows about 10 feet from one another, because she was on the middle floor, and my, my buddy and I were on the top floor, okay? Like, we were all just right there. We, we, both of us, like the same girl, we knew that, like, she really liked me for a while, and then she started liking him, and I, I got wind of something. It was all funky. But... Uh, we both pursued her at the same time at the council of our director okay we knew that whoever won was going to marry her she was 29 at the time I was 24 and and uh, and he won whatever you call that and it was a painful thing and I kind of got my heart broken um, but at the end of the day she's very very similar to me I got married long story short they were married they started dating in May, were engaged in August and married in January. My wife and I started dating in August, were engaged in October and married a month later in February. We are now best friends, okay, like the four of us. We plan to have children at the same time. We have two daughters the exact same ages, okay, like two separate sets, okay, same age. Uh, that we lived across the street from them in Minneapolis, we did everything together with them. And I, we would always reminisce about it, like, Every once in a while, we'd all four reminisce about it, as weird as that sounds, uh, and just say, isn't it amazing what God did? Because do I believe that I could have been happily married to that person who's very similar to me? Sure. I think we never we would have been non-functional, really fun people. And my wife, and it's like, uh, seriously, and, and I think my wife, and if she had married that guy, which she very well could have, because we're all just right there, would have been not so fun, super practical people. Okay, but then we got the complementarity of both sides, and it's just the Lord worked it out in His in His kindness. But do I believe that any of us could have married the other one and been happy? Sure, it's just the way the Lord worked it out. So I do think there's a sense in which you go, you're gonna be all right. It ain't gonna be perfect. Every person, this is this is kind of a bottom line. Every person that you meet all the time, on some level, is deeply, deeply fascinating. This is where the, the Sarah's talking about. Like there are layers of that onion that you just keep peeling away. We're talking about God imaging people. Everybody, their whole story, there are multitudes, there's a multitude of, of, of sin-laden, intriguing circumstances that, that are God-imaging and broken all at the same time that just make that person who they are, and you could plumb the depths of that for your whole lifetime at least. And so they're, they're deeply fascinating, and they're also deeply, deeply broken. All the people you ever met, you, you ever, met, you ever will meet, are deeply sinful. And therefore, you will never meet your jigsaw puzzle piece that just fits you because they they and you have too many jagged edges it doesn't work that way and therefore when when you think about getting married there's there's a piece of that that just feels in a backward way it feels relieving to me because i'm like it's not going to be like i'm not going to find my heaven here it's not going to happen but i can taste the beauty of Christ's love for the church and, th and then display it to the world in a really rich and full way, I just have to remember, they're not, she, she ain't Jesus. 
and I'm not to her for sure. Most of the time. So if you're just going to give, just this is more on the spiritual side of things. I'll just finish here, and you guys can go to sleep because you work in the morning. Um, the or yeah, you work in the night. Um, the fruit of the spirit uh, is a great list. Okay, if you just look at like, how, what, how, what are some criteria? So, well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know many people who are like that. They're just not pleasant to be around. Okay, like if they have those things. In other words, maturity begets relatability. Maturity begets compatibility. And so if that person is actually loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind, that person is actually gentle, I really like those things. I enjoy those things. So, so to put that list out in front of you, I'd say that's a wonderful list. There are other things. But if I were just going to distinguish one thing that I think is the mark of the believer, I would say mercy. Um, the thing that makes you a Christian is the receiving of mercy. Okay? So to have been, I would just say to have been forgiven much. If you meet a person who understands that they have been forgiven much, that's a person you want to marry. A person who can be broken. Uh, because that, that just begets the whole deal. It begets the whole list. That's what the Spirit does. It convicts you and then shows you, it covers you in the mercy of Christ over and against a, a really humble person is just going, oh, I'm not all that good at all that stuff. They're going to be pretty sincere in their job interview that is dating. And, um, but to have been forgiven much, that person loves much, Right? The person who says, in this is love, not that I love God or that I really love you, but that he loved me, that person is going to be the person who ends up loving you and, and your children. Uh, so a mer- if, if you find someone who's a really exacting person, in my opinion, it's like, nope, that's, that ain't fair. Let's get payback. And that's how they live. I don't think that's a very Christian quality because it's not in line with the truth of the gospel. So I would, I would promote mercy, a merciful person above maybe any other quality. And you could be like, well, what about humility and love? And I'm like, they're all, they're all kind of in this big gooey ball of, of Christ imaging attributes, but mercy to me is a distinguishing factor. And the, the last thing I would say, this is, this, this is just from my personal experience. Um, the thing that probably attracted me the most to my wife is her gospel-fueled confidence. Um, meaning she's just okay. Like, another way to say this is need and love are different things, okay? If, if there's someone who comes to you and they say, I need you to be my fulfiller, my savior, my fill in the blank. I need you for that, um, male or female. You can feel that over time, okay? Like, I need you for that. I would say dating and marrying that person not only is not going to be good for you, it's also not going to be good for them because that's going to enable them with a savior that's not the true one. Uh, so, but for, for me with Lisa, uh, maybe a, a handful of you know my wife, but she's very, she's comfortable in her own skin. And there are different circumstances that contribute to that. She had a fairly stable family growing up, so it, it does depend on a lot of things. But when you see a really a spirit-led confidence that she has that says, I, I'm happy to give myself to you, it's like when you think back, the back scratching analogy, it's not a you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's my back's already been scratched. So 
where's your itch? You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll scratch that. I, I, we'll, we'll just keep. I'll, I'll, I'll just keep scratching, <laughs> and you can do the same thing. And, and this is how. That's how really. That's how biblical marriage works. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody who doesn't find their identity in you. Um, that they would easily say, "I love Jesus more than you." They, they should say that. Like, you should say that at, at, at points to your spouse. Not like, it, like you don't wake up and be like, I just want you to know today, I love Jesus more than you. But, but, uh, uh, but I do think that needs to be made clear from the get-go. You know, that needs to be made clear when you're thinking about who you would date or marry. If there's, if there's serious doubt that you are ultimately more important to that person or more of the treasure to that person, than the one who is the actual treasure. It's not good for you and it's not good for them.